This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting in Michigan. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I am Jolan Ansami, your co-host joined by Natasha Sardorj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable brings together leading voices from business, government, media, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and via YouTube on International Leaders Summit. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. This weekend on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., we are truly honored to be joined by Nancy DeMoor, who served as mayor of the city of Holland in the great state of Michigan. Nancy began her early career as a high school teacher and then later served on the Holland City Council in Michigan for 10 years prior to running for mayor. She also co-founded and was elected the executive director of the West Michigan Character Council and was also asked to be the morning radio co-host at Lancer Broadcasting's radio program, which he did for two years prior to running for mayor. Nancy DeBoer served as mayor of the city of Holland in Michigan from 2015 to 2019. Indeed, she is a great American patriot. Welcome to America's Roundtable, Nancy. Welcome, Nancy. Hey, well, thank you. Thank you for your kind words. It's been an honor to serve uh, the community that I love and the people um, of Holland. And I have a deep heart for not just Holland, but also Michigan and the United States, especially at this time. Nancy, what were your thoughts when you first witnessed the violent protests in cities like Portland, Chicago, and the mayhem in cities closer to home in Grand Rapids and Detroit in Michigan? That really troubled me. As mayor, you realize how important it is to have a good authority structure in your community. And safety is the number one thing that most people take for granted in a community. Holland is one of the five safest cities in the country, and we really valued that, and we invested heavily in our police department that it would be um, community-focused, that we would have people within the community to get to know people, to have relationships within the community, uh, to understand what was going on and to help people and and, um, discern trouble when it was going to happen rather than after it happened. And those are all very delicate balances within a community and its police structure. And so to watch the total destruction of that and then to hear the chant of um, defunding the police. When I first heard of that out in Washington State, I was like, oh, wow. Well, they just played their final card with that one. They are no longer asking for change in a community. They are asking for revolution. And that is a very scary concept um, when you take that across the country. And um, so destruction of property, complete anarchy in um, behavior, and the idea that getting rid of funding for police is going to make a better world um, is a completely deceived um depraved attitude um, for our country. Nancy, here in Washington, D.C. on June the 24th, 2020, U.S. Senator Tim Scott 
He's a Republican senator, leader of the Justice Act Task Force, took to the Senate floor after Senate Democrats stonewalled legislation on police reform in American communities, that which would impact cities across Michigan as well. It showed that Senate Democrats were siding with protesters, anarchists, the Antifa group, and other fringe violent groups in their grievances and efforts to defund the police, but not participating in providing solutions. Uh, Indeed, Senate Democrats thwarted Senator Tim Scott's legislation, a principled solution on police reform that was being advanced by a Republican African-American leader. Senator Tim Scott knows the challenges well. His speech and mass the hypocrisy of America's elected officials that were supporting a far-left agenda. Nancy, indeed, it is very disappointing to note that Biden and Harris have remained silent about the violent protests impacting Democratic cities and also issuing statements that oppose principal endeavors uh, of strengthening the rule of law, that which protects life, liberty, and private property, as you rightfully mentioned. And it is also very rare to hear the Democratic leadership talk about law and order and the safety of citizens and the protection of property rights. Nancy, what are your thoughts when you see Democrat leaders and the far left uh, supporting the far left uh, through violent protest efforts that are agitating the public at large and complaining while at the same time blocking real reform legislation such as the Justice Act introduced by Republicans? Republican Senator Tim Scott. It is really discouraging. and I, But the other side of it is I think um, it reveals people's motivations. And not that we can judge somebody's motivation, but as a leader, if you cave to every minority whim or uh, pressure, what kind of leadership is that? And I think that's what we've watched over this summer, that... Um, these are not nice policies. These are policies that ultimately lead to destruction. We have to wake up and uh, realize that. And when leaders are asked to come together to form reasonable solutions and reasonable policy, and they refuse to be involved, I, I think you have a sense of what is really motivating them. And it's not the best for the country. It's not um, a system where we all come together and talk about common goals. In this election, you know, you don't get the sense that we are all want the same thing, that we all want the same goals. We just differ on how to get there. It really feels like there are two sets of goals going two separate directions. And if we just wander around thinking, oh, that sounds nice, we cannot be deceived. We have to look beyond what's being presented and realize how are we being um, taken away from the, from the truth. And you cannot say, oh, those are just peaceful protests. Oh, we want this or we want that. And, but you look at the reality um, of what's going on. And when you cannot all come into a room together and figure out a better way forward in the middle of a pandemic, and even if it is an election year, um, and this massive destruction, um, then you don't really care for your country. It is a Solomon question. When two mothers, women, came to Solomon and said, you know, I, this is my baby, no, it's my baby, what did Solomon say? 
let's cut the baby up and hand it to each one gets half a baby. Who was the real mother? It was the mother who cared for the child and didn't want to cut it up. Those who want to cut up this country and destroy it are not the real mother. They are not the real leader. They are not the ones that you want to follow and trust with policy and direction for your country. Those are the people that will destroy it. And we have to, as a country, wake up and realize what's underneath what's being said and, and follow the truth. Think about law and order. Those, that is the context that will give us the safety from which to do everything else we, we want to accomplish, the way to have our businesses, the way to, you know, when I watched the destruction of all that was going on, especially in Grand Rapids, just um, a few miles away from us, I, I was like, how do those business owners feel? They just paid how many dollars in taxes this past year? And what is their community doing for them? If they do not have the law and order in their city, how can they possibly invest? How can they provide jobs? How can they provide innovation? How can they work to make this a better world? They can't. And that is fundamental to our country, that we are here at, to empower people. We are a nation that is for the people, by the people, because we've decided on a system and a framework with our Constitution that protects the individual and his rights, his or her rights. But each of those rights stop at the next person's rights. And we are a republic because we were established under God, our Creator. And it's not up to each man to do what is right in his own eyes. We have accepted a common system, and in following that, we have peace, and we can flourish as individuals and as families and as communities. We have been blessed with an amazing country that we have easily taken for granted, and the more we amuse ourselves and wander off to do what we feel like, we drift away from the responsibility that we accept in that liberty. And if we only talk about our freedom with license to do whatever we want, we will destroy the foundation of this country. We have freedom with responsibility. And that's what gives us the strength as a country to be a leader in this world. And we cannot ignore that. And we cannot walk away from that. Or this world will lose the last example of the democratic republic experiment that has been so unbelievably successful now for hundreds of years. It's awesome. Indeed, Nancy, you've uh, communicated the importance of our founding documents, America's founding documents, the Declaration of Independence, and the U.S. Constitution, which communicate the importance of our Creator, giving us these natural rights. Our rights are given by a, our Creator, and the importance of protecting life, liberty, and private property, the rule of law, which is so significant. And uh, indeed, uh, America is still a unique country on the face of this world and a beacon of hope uh, and uh, liberty uh, as we see millions of people wanting to come to America to experience uh, the freedoms that we have here as well as the rule of law. I stopped at a senior center a few years ago and a woman came up to me who 
worked there, and she just had huge eyes of fear. And um, she said, I am so afraid for this country, the United States of America. And I said, well, what, what do you mean? And she said, I'm from Venezuela. And we had a wonderful country and a great system, and it, it was all overcome in such a short time. And she just went on to explain all these different things that had happened, and she said, I am afraid for what I see happening now in the United States. It reminds me of what was going on when I lived in Venezuela and my family fled there. To come to the United States, she said, if we lose the United States, no one will have anywhere to flee, to be free. That really gave me pause, um, to be more aware of what really was going on um, in our country, that, that um, we have to pay attention. We cannot walk away. We cannot just lay back and have philosophical conversations. We are in the midst of a, of a war for the principles that our country was founded on. And we need to realize that and stand up and speak up to preserve this wonderful institution that has been established to preserve individual rights and therefore help individuals, families, and communities flourish and businesses. That's the way it all works. Nancy, you are absolutely right. We are witnessing the signs of socialism in America. Freedom without responsibility. Erosion of the rule of law. Disregard for private property rights. Removing Judeo-Christian values. And corruption perpetuated by the establishment in Washington, D.C., which, among others, advances the interest for corrupt foreign governments. Now, academicians, the far left of America, democratic legislators at state capitals and on Capitol Hill are looking the other way. Rather than focusing on strengthening the rule of law and supporting real economic reforms, such as the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which was signed into law by President Donald Trump in December 2018, which is already benefiting American families, workers and companies, the Democrats led by Biden are pushing an agenda of raising taxes. On the economic front, Biden's policies will punish American businesses and those who work in the private sector by raising corporate income tax to 28% and raising $4 trillion in new tax revenues. Rather than preserving America's founding principles, the rule of law, free enterprise, free markets, religious freedoms, and individual liberty, we are seeing the resurgence of socialism in America, of Democrats and the far left wanting greater government control, more regulations, and higher taxation. Nancy, what are your thoughts about why are Americans drawn to the idea of socialism in America? It sounds nice. Why would you want to work if someone else is going to work and then hand you their money? I mean, everybody is selfish at the core, right? And we think, well, I'd rather not have to work. I'd rather someone else did it. As Margaret Thatcher said, socialism only works until the other person runs out of money. That is the core. And I guess, you know, socialism um, has appealed because we're selfish. But underneath it all, I don't, I believe that man is depraved. And um, we automatically lean toward doing the wrong thing. We don't automatically lean toward doing the right thing. Therefore, you have to have a structure in society that motivates a person who is not 100% righteous, because none of us are. 
So in a capitalistic system, each person is motivated to provide for themselves and their families. We are not motivated to provide for everybody else except us. That's what has to be set up in society in order for it to succeed. And also, as you look back in history, socialism has never worked, um, and I think basically for that reason, and it always leads to, to communism, to totalitarian um, takeover. And um, that is what you don't see behind the curtain. And people are deceived into believing what they want to believe on the way to finding out it wasn't true. And that is really scary because it has happened over and over in history that people have chosen to follow what they want to believe even though it is not true. And we do not change what's true by what we believe. Truth stays the same. And we will either prove it's true by following it and being successful, or we will prove its truth by facing destruction because we ignored it. And that is very a critical difference. I remember back in um, Hitler's day, he had a huge group of people. I, can't, I can't, don't remember the numbers, but it was staggering. And they had two guards at the front of this audience, and they told everyone in the audience, pack up your, your families and all get on the train, and we are going to take a ride. And when we get there, everyone can come out, and we're going to have beautiful property, farms, schools. You'll have um, just an idyllic life for you and your family, and um, it'll just be a wonderful thing. And all you have to do is pack up and get on the train. And all these people believed it. They said it'll be a little crowded at first, but after a while, you know, then you'll get there and it'll be wonderful. And, of course, we know they did not take them to these beautiful fields and wonderful life. Um, they instead ended up getting dropped off at concentration camps. They believed what they wanted to believe. It did not change the truth. We really need to face what is behind what we are being told we need to realize what is really going on, and um, we need to have leaders who have principles larger than their egos and than their um, personal um, profit, that they will not sell their country for profit, that they will not deceive their brothers and sisters in their country in order to build their own empire off the grid. We have to be wise and, um, and understand that and be willing to make decisions for the values, the policies that are going to make this country stronger in the system we established. We're not here um, for revolution. We, that will lead us the wrong way. And people have to realize they don't just pack up their family and get on this happy train that's going to take them to destruction. They, ha they will get on for destruction. They have to realize we want to believe the truth, not just what sounds good, not just what sounds easy, not just what sounds comfortable. Whenever you say you're going to get free this and free that, it's got to be paid for by somebody. And you can't tax um, the leaders of businesses and those that are entrepreneurial and willing to take on the risk 
um, of running a business and providing successful direction in business and its development for its employees and their families and and tax them so much that they can't provide. And we can talk about there are just consequences to handing people free stuff all the time. We take away the dignity of the individual in work and we take away the dignity of those families and we start to destroy their incentive to provide for themselves and their families. And because once again, we are naturally do the bad thing. We naturally lean toward comfort and easy and we can't, we are not ultimately fulfilled that way. We are much better off with the dignity of work. And so we want to protect those values. That's what's made our country one of the most entrepreneurial on the face of the earth. We want to keep solving problems for the world. We want to keep employing people. We want to keep making individuals and families and communities successful. We do not want to destroy the nuclear family. That's another underlying goal that people need to be aware of. We want to encourage nuclear families. They are the structure that builds a strong country. Indeed, well stated, uh, Nancy, in regard to the dangers of socialism impacting America's shores and how easy it has been in our university campuses for students to embrace socialism and other scholars. And uh, we certainly uh, would like to remind our listeners about some great books that are out there, Milton Friedman's uh, Capitalism and Freedom. We have Hayek's book, The Road to Serfdom, a gentleman who left Austria that was invaded by Hitler and his troops and came to Great Britain. He was a Nobel Prize winner in economics. He talks about the dangers of the road to serfdom to socialism that leads to dictatorships and authoritarian leadership. And also a new book coming out by Cheryl Cumley, which is titled Socialists Don't Sleep. Uh, Cheryl Cumley uh, is with the Washington Times. Individuals within our country ought to be well informed about the importance of our Judeo-Christian principles and values and our founding documents that created such a unique foundation uh, for what you've rightfully mentioned, Nancy, a, a entrepreneurial spirit that is unique, not just within the United States, but it's an example to the rest of the world. Nancy, the strict lockdown implemented by Michigan governors uh, hampered businesses to reopen. Uh, the Michigan governor's mixed messages and questions policies have led to confusion and a slower economic recovery when compared to other states. Uh, There was a, a report from the AP and I'd like to quote it. I quote, the U.S. Department of Justice says it wants COVID-19 data from Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer as it examines executive orders during the pandemic that may have resulted in the deaths of thousands of elderly nursing home residents. This escalates a long-brewing fight over policies implemented by some governors to care for elderly individuals with the virus in nursing homes amid fears of hospitals being overrun. Unquote. 
Nancy, from your perspective as a chief executive of a city, what are principal policies that you would advocate to fuel Michigan's economic recovery? And what are the lessons learned about how a governor uh, truly hampered efforts to safeguard and provide important health care to America's or Michigan's patients? That is really, really hard that uh, we've had to accept COVID-positive patients in nursing homes, and it has continued despite the legislature's attempt to change that policy. It is unreal that we are now in this executive order world that keeps getting renewed every couple weeks um, through the beginning of October at this time, um, so that our legislators that were all duly elected to help craft policy are have been muted. Um, and that is not a good way to run a state. So it's been really hard to watch. And I've been thankful that my mom and my husband's father are in another state, frankly, um, because I fear for uh, what the numbers that will come back eventually on the deaths in these senior facilities because of policy that has um, led to a petri dish of disease. And, um, and also, you know, that kind of policy has led to the unbelievable isolation of the people that are in those facilities because there's been disease introduced and therefore they all have to live in this solitary confinement with not having done the crime, so to speak. Um, so that has been very, very difficult. And I think there are probably um, a lot of people just dying of broken hearts if it's not disease. And that is a heavy toll. And there's responsibility um, behind that. And so... I, it is, I don't know, you know, how one person can possibly understand the intricacies of all the industry in a state to set up this kind of requirements at the beginning and then hold to those so tightly for so many weeks and months. Um, after the first two weeks, I believe, you know, people understood that this was something we didn't understand that they wondered what was going on and they felt it was wise, though unprecedented, to stop things for a couple weeks. But then after that, we came in with worse requirements. And I think that was the detour that led us into more and more difficulty as a state. Um, when you look at over at South Dakota, I know that it's a different type of state, but still have letting people understand the danger and the kind of progression of the disease and how we can address it, and then setting requirements within different types of industry and continuing to, to work and um, be a part of the rhythm of life, I think, in the long run is so much healthier um, at, because on this road, I don't know what will ever give us the ultimate security that no one will ever get the disease. We can't have this, this 
that kind of security. I don't know what will ever say, okay, everything is fine now, go full force into regular life. For the governor and for all those in making decisions in leadership, that they will be wise in considering more than just a disease in setting economic policy for this state. We've gone through a lot with the, with the demise of the auto industry years ago. Michigan was the first to face difficulty economically, and we have come roaring back only to be stopped like this. And I know Michiganders are resilient, positive, but, you know, you can only go so many months without having your work and your um, business and there are many that are going to be going under um, because of this, and that is going to hurt us so much um, in the long run, and there's responsibility with all of that. This weekend on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., we have been truly honored to be joined by Nancy DeBoer, who served as mayor of the city of Holland in the great state of Michigan. Nancy, we thank you so much for taking time and joining us on America's Roundtable. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you. It has been my honor and privilege, and I appreciate all that you're doing to help people understand the truth of what's going on in the United States and help them discern what, how they can make decisions to keep our country on the right track um, for the future. So thank you for all that you are doing. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting in Michigan. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I am Jolan Ansami, your co-host joined by Natasha Sardorj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable brings together leading voices from business, government, media, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and via YouTube on International Leaders Summit. Visit iLeadersSummit.org.